You're listening to Mr. Open Banking, the only podcast dedicated to exploring the open banking movement. Whether you're a financial expert, banking executive, or everyday consumer, open banking affects everyone and will change the way we interact with our money. I'm A.L. Saman, your host. This episode is brought to you by Axway, leaders in enterprise integration for over 20 years. Much of the attention being paid to open banking centers around Europe, the UK, North America, and other members of what some would call the developed world. The problem with the developed world is that sometimes the things it has developed are getting a little long in the tooth. Like, for example, the banking system. Oftentimes, introducing disruptive, innovative change, like open banking, into an already developed environment can be difficult, to say the least. On the other hand, introducing innovation where there was nothing to replace causes no disruption, making it a lot easier. Some call this scenario a green field a blank space where the latest technology can be adopted immediately, leapfrogging whatever came before. For this reason, many of the most advanced digital technologies come not from the developed world, but from the developing world. Places where no established players and processes stand in the way of the latest and the greatest. This is why Asian countries are leading the way in spaces as crucial as payments, digital ID, and CBDCs. But there is one place that sometimes gets forgotten. A place forever caught between the East and the West. Africa. Over the last two decades... The ultimate green field, that is the African continent, has undergone a quiet but steady technological renaissance. The introduction of mobile money in 2007, which came not from banks but from telcos, brought financial inclusion to millions of Africans virtually overnight and made them digitally savvy along the way. Today, Africa is home to some of the most innovative original fintech solutions out there. Point solutions, as good as anything from the West, and super apps, as good as anything from the East. VC interest has grown accordingly. In 2021, African fintech investment nearly quadrupled from the year before, surpassing $2 billion for the first time. On this episode we're going to learn why some of the most exciting open banking developments of the next decade may very well come out of Africa. Ismail Chaib has been practicing open banking since before the term was even invented. In 2011, well before PSD2 or the CMA order, Ismail helped German firm Tessabi create the Open Bank Project an open-source API marketplace where bank backends could publish to a common API and front-end developers could build digital experiences that worked across multiple banks. In effect, 
open banking before open banking. After leaving Tesabee in 2020, Ismail decided to turn his considerable talents towards something new, fintech in Africa. There, he joined Enza Capital as a venture capital fellow, which then led him towards African startups. Today, Ismail is the general manager at Yasser Tech Hub, a startup based out of his birthplace, Algeria. Yasser has built the leading super app in French-speaking Africa, centered around on-demand services like ride-hailing and last-mile delivery, but including, of course, banking services like payments. Yasser aims to leverage technology and open banking in particular to better the lives of all Africans. Ismail, thank you for joining us. Thank you, Eyal. It's such a pleasure to be here. You have been practicing open banking longer than just about anybody. Tell us about the Open Bank Project. So Open Bank Project is, as you said, really this open source API platform for banks. Uh, The CEO, Simon Redfern, he's an engineer, he's a tech guy, was using APIs all around. API was a, a fairly established concept in the technology realm. But then he couldn't really understand why you can't do the same thing in banking, why I cannot access my banking data and banking services, why I can't share those banking services with others, et cetera, et cetera. And, and so that's how the Open Bank Project uh, adventure started. I met him, uh, as you said, 2011, and he was pitching this idea to me. I said, look, this is crazy. This would never happen. I want to be part of it. Together, we built one of the first open banking platform when we used to pitch open banking to folks in banks and financial service institutions. They were all looking at us in a weird way. You know, how come I would share transaction data and so on and, and fintech? What is that? It's really exciting to see how things change. So the open bank project, really the vision was to offer technology platform for the banks who want to expose APIs. Instead of each bank doing it its own way, uh, we wanted that to be uh, standardized interfaces. And then we wanted that to be open source. All banks of all sizes, wherever they are, could benefit from good technology. And we built around this technology platform a community of fintech developers. Uh, when I left, we were over uh, 10,000 developers around the world using these APIs to build all sorts of stuff from budgeting apps to uh, green fintech to like all sorts of fun use cases. That's the brief story of the Open Bank Project. Let's zero in on that because I think it's important. You grew the Open Bank Project from zero to 11,000 fintech developers worldwide more than 40 bank customers, including tier one banks like HSBC, BNP Paribas, and Societe Generale. Many banks today are trying to do exactly that, to build a developer ecosystem around their platforms. So let's help them out. How did you manage to do that? Probably, I think what helped is that we are engineers and we were engineers. And so we really came with an engineering mindset to this. And we shared some of the pain points that fintech developer has. Like we wanted to access our bank transaction. It was frustrating. We couldn't do that. So we wanted to build a technology that solved this problem. So I think like really being able to understand the pain points and to build something that really caters to you know, scratching our own itch to to some extent. 
everything we did, we put the developer at the center of that. So it was really developer-friendly, developer-centric solutions. The most important thing is the mindset and this relentless focus on the developers and the developer experience. So you're building open bank project and somewhere in there, actual open banking comes along, which for Europe took the form of PSD2 legislation and then the emergence of standards. How did this change things for the open bank project and Tessabee? The main change, of course, is that the conversation shifted completely. So from a nice innovation, this became something really important, something that the business needs to think about, to care about. Certainly, it shifted the conversation. It accelerated what would have taken us maybe 10 years to do. We we were able to do in two, three years because either regulation was already here or it was on the horizon. That pushed banks and developers and everyone in the ecosystem to move faster. Having conquered open banking in Europe, you then set your sights on Africa. Why? I I kind of seen this topic from all angles. And so I wanted to shift. I wanted really to change, to challenge myself, to discover something new. I absolutely wanted to give something back to my country. I was born and raised in Algeria and to a larger extent to give back to the continent. So after leaving Tisobia, I took a year off, kind of semi-sabbatical. And it was very clear to me that whatever I'm going to do next, I'm going to do something in fintech because this is what I understand. This is what I like. This is what I'm passionate about. And then it has to be something in Africa. So that was the, let's say, the impulse or the the sort of the gut feeling. And then when you start sort of digging a bit into it, you see that there is absolutely amazing opportunity there. Lots of things happening. It's incredible. There's a huge opportunity. Sadly, uh, financial inclusion is, is a challenge. Informal economy is a challenge. So we have lots of challenges that technology, entrepreneurship, the things that we've learned in Europe around the world could be applied and and could provide tremendous value to people on the continent. So that's why it's pretty clear for me. That's what I wanted to put my energy next. The Open Bank Project was one of my very first stops when I first learned about open banking. It was there that, for the first time, I saw a practical working solution that let banks and third parties share data using common open-source APIs. One example really stuck with me. One of the developers had built a digital banking app for the blind. Here was something that no single bank, even the largest, could possibly justify building. The audience was just too small, too niche, But if there was a single app that could provide banking to all blind people, one that plugged in to any bank, well, that's a different story. Now you've created something that both makes business sense and brings financial services to those who could never access them 
before. Ismail grew the Open Bank project to over 11,000 developers all over the world without any regulation. Because those banks and those developers understood the best thing about open banking. It's a win-win. After helping Tessabi navigate the introduction of regulated open banking in Europe, Ismail turned his sights back home to his native Algeria and to the African continent at large. What he saw there was a land of opportunity. The introduction of mobile money in 2007 under the name M-Pesa changed Africa forever, enabling the instant movement of money person to person without any bank in the middle. This uniquely African innovation has been only one part of the fertile soil from which hundreds of African fintechs have started to grow. Let's try and give our listeners a tour of fintech in Africa. Many have heard of M-Pesa, so let's start there. What is M-Pesa? And then what has happened since M-Pesa? So M-Pesa is really the, let's say, the first wave of fintech in Africa. So it's really this mobile payment system, the first mobile payment system on the continent. It's really like a way for you to send money through SMS or through your phone. You can send money to another person. So if you're like working in in Nairobi, in the capital, you have your family living in rural areas, instead of doing the trip, taking cash, you could just send them money through Mpeza that they can get into a local shop. So really started this mobile money movement. It spread like fire across the whole uh, continent. I think today, 50 or over 50% of mobile money accounts are in on Africa. Africa is more than a billion people. And I think now we are getting into the second or third wave of fintech companies, fintech companies that are much more cross-country, companies who are international in their DNA. So you take Flutterwave, you take Cheaper Cash, Yasir being one of them, basically started on the continent, having offices in San Francisco, having offices in Berlin. So very international. In the last year or so, there's been also a tremendous amount of money being poured into uh, African fintech. So last year, I think $4 billion were deployed in capital into startup companies, and then 75% of that or so went into fintech. Huge market, lots of opportunities, and especially lots of uh, activity, lots of things happening. That's what's really exciting. And the technology base is a little different than what you see in other regions. Mobile money movement and M-Pesa means that I'm sending money from a phone to a phone, right? There's no bank involved. Yeah, exactly. Now, like certain banks have sort of caught up with this and trying to, to offer their own version of that. In Africa, people jump straight away, leapfrog straight away to, to the mobile money account. And for many, that's the only account they have, right? It's their mobile phone and the mobile app there. There's a company called Wave in Senegal. What they provide is a, a simple mobile money account. Most of the agile population in Senegal uses Wave to, to send P2P money, to send money between themselves and pay for services. Huge opportunity and, and definitely this idea of leapfrogging and, and, and jumping to the, next, uh, to the next thing straight away. 
So let's talk about that leapfrogging. Let's be plain, over the last century or more, Africa as a continent has been behind in terms of technology. But that also means that they don't have any legacy to deal with, opening the door to leapfrogging, as you said, like with Mpeza. Do you think Africa's lack of technology infrastructure is a disadvantage or an advantage? Look, I think it's really complex situation that we have. So the market is there, definitely. It's a huge market opportunity. The impact is there. Whereas in Europe, you offer convenience. In Africa, you're offering essential services. You're offering banking services to people who would otherwise not have access, completely wouldn't have access to these services. You see, so there's really a difference in the impact that you are making. But then the implementation, of course, is different. Yes, maybe there is less of a technical depth, but also there is a problem with tech talents, tech talents that, that go to, to Europe and to other places, huge kind of informal economy, which makes everything more complicated than it should be. There's lots of red tape, but the impact and the, the, the market opportunity is certainly there. We're going to spend the rest of our discussion exploring those different facets, the drivers, the risks, as unique to Africa. But before we do that, let's give it an open banking lens. More recently, during the ongoing fintech boom, several African nations like Nigeria and Kenya have begun their own open banking journeys. Describe for us the open banking landscape in Africa today. Open banking could be either driven by the regulator or by the market. We have some African countries where there is, there is lots of fintech activity. We have the regulator who are like stepping up and saying, we need open banking. You talked about Nigeria. Nigeria, the Central Bank of Nigeria shared, I think about a week or two ago, the technical specification for the open banking APIs. You have Kenya as well, who said by 2025, they want to see a data sharing framework in place. You have Rwanda as well, which is like using, um, implementing something similar to PSD2. Few countries, few regulators moving into that direction. And then, of course, you have the private sector, which is also super active in this context. In Nigeria alone, you have like maybe three, four companies that are providing open banking APIs, fairly well-funded uh, companies. You have Mono, you have Stitch, you have uh, OnePipe. You have uh, Hadada, which is a company I actually advise. The banks themselves actually are sort of taking stock of what's happening around the world and start publishing uh, developer portals, APIs to specific partners, et cetera, et cetera. So this is really moving into the right direction. One of the big open banking questions is market-driven, like we're seeing in the U.S., and North America versus regulatory driven, like we see in Europe. Often the answer is a balance of the two. Which path do you foresee taking shape in Africa? And will it differ from one country to another? 
Yeah, I think it will differ from one country to another. And then I think you have also different use cases. Some African countries have lots of people without a bank account, uh, without access to quality and affordable financial services. So where there is a low rate of uh, financial inclusion, the central banks or the regulators might want to think about open banking as a tool for financial inclusion. So might want to push for open banking. In other countries where you, you do have a high rate, like Rwanda, for instance, you have a high rate of, of financial inclusion, the drivers would be different. Then the other angle is the amount of fintech activity. We know that open banking fosters a healthy fintech ecosystem yeah, and innovation and brings more competitiveness and so on. So I think in countries where you have lots of consolidated banking sector where the regulators would look into or would want to foster more innovation and competition in the marketplace, they would also look at open banking as a tool to drive these points. And then lastly, I think, yes, the fintech activity in Nigeria, before we have all these open banking platforms, we had a boom of fintech platforms, right? Like fintech companies which engaged with the end customers, right? But then they saw that there is a problem in infrastructure. And so instead of solving the infrastructure problem, it's I'd rather work with someone else, which enabled me to do that, which enabled me to access this infrastructure. And so that's why we saw a rise. Like So in Nigeria, four, five, six well-funded open banking platforms, right? If we look at from a regulatory perspective, regulators would look at financial inclusion and the competition in the marketplace or consolidation in the marketplace. And where you have lots of consolidation, where you have a low financial inclusion, you might see regulator imposing open banking. And then opposite to that, in countries where you see a high level of fintech activity, you would see open banking actors coming up, right? So now Nigeria, uh, South Africa, same. But then tomorrow you'll see these actors in Cairo, in, you know, in Kenya, Egypt, and all these fintech hub spots that exist in Africa now. That's really interesting. It's like you're saying the drivers, whether they're driving competition, reducing systemic risk, infrastructure modernization, or financial inclusion, those drive the balance between market-driven and regulatory-driven. Is that right? Yeah, exactly. And then there is also where the private sector also tried to push for regulation. I think one feed the other at the end of the day. And I think Nigeria is a great story there because in Nigeria, there is the Open Banking Nigeria Association, which was started probably five, six years ago. We were talking to them with the Open Bank Project and so on. And it's private sector, like it's a guy in Nigeria who, you know, really believed early on believed in this and wanted open banking to happen uh, in Nigeria. So started pushing for that, started lobbying, got some industry actors, companies from the sector, you know, started doing roundtables, and then started engaging with the regulators, kind of showing them the way, what's the art of possible, what is happening outside dissemination effort and so on. And now you have the central bank picking up on that work and coming up with an open banking regulation. They're not mutually exclusive, but I think when it works best, it's when they, they work in, in tandem. Let's zero in on one of those drivers that's particularly important to Africa, financial inclusion. 
Over 50% of the African population has no bank account, and many small businesses are not using traditional banking services. What do you think are some of the factors that are perpetuating such financial exclusion? And can open banking help? There are really multiple things. Countries sometimes are so big and not well connected. We have one of the lowest rate of ATMs and bank branches in, in the world. On the continent, the banks are not everywhere. There is also the cost. It's not always profitable for the bank. So the bank choose not to work with the lowest income population. And then I think importantly as well, it's trust. People do not trust the banking system in general. If you take a country like Algeria, for instance, more than 90% of transactions are actually done in cash. People want to see their cash and don't want to put it in someone else's safe. There is that combination of these factors that make it so financial inclusion is, is not there yet. Yet, there are studies that show that by accessing affordable and quality financial services, people would have more savings, can send their kids to school, better education. Like So there are so many good things that happens just because you have access to those good financial services. You don't go to a loan shark and then kind of spiral into this debt trap. So there is really good stuff that would happen from financial inclusion. But unfortunately, today, it's not as widespread as it should be. When telco players Vodafone and Safaricom piloted M-Pesa way back in 2005, they scarcely could have imagined the force which they unleashed. Today, M-Pesa has over 50 million active customers and 5 billion transactions per quarter. Beyond the impact of a single platform, it showed Africans the power of digital banking bringing essential, secure financial services to people who simply had zero access to them before. Now, if they had a mobile phone, they had a digital wallet. As African customers became more digitally savvy, so did the fintechs serving them, offering instant payments, microloans, savings tools, and much more. And, like the Open Bank project before them, some of these fintechs are trying to solve the open banking problem themselves. Mono, a fintech out of Nigeria, launched their open banking hub two years ago. But just this month, they announced they've added Kenya to their ecosystem. Good thing the regulators were paying attention. One after another, African governments started announcing their own open banking plans. Kenya introduced a five-year program to modernize their financial system, explicitly calling for open banking. Nigeria recently published their first technical standards for their actual APIs. Senegal, Ghana, South Africa, and others are working on their own plans. However, in many ways, Africa is caught between the old world and the new. While they see the benefits of digital banking, many regions are still heavily reliant on cash and would be hesitant to trust anything else. Finding a way to reconcile this contradiction is a uniquely African problem. 
So that's where Ismail and I go next. You describe on the one hand a culture that has yet to really embrace digital banking, but on the other hand, this leapfrogging rise of fintech and new world where Africans can take advantage of the benefits of banking services. What's it going to take to push the needle towards that future? I think you need to be everywhere and you need to build trust. That's why actually I like the model of, of Yesir. Started as a rain-hailing company and, and then became a super app, which offers also a wallet. Basically, you take your ride you know, from A to B and public transport infrastructure is really bad in most of the continent. So we kind of need this type of solution. So you take your ride from A to B, from your home to your work, and then you give the, the driver, let's say it's $10. So you give the driver $20, $10 they take, and then $10 they put into your wallet. Then with that $10, you can pay for food to get delivered for lunch, et cetera, et cetera. So really trying to turn these drivers into some sort of human ATMs and really spreading the cash-in and cash-out capabilities across cities, which again, as I said, it's, it's lacking today. So I think that's one. And then trust. People don't necessarily trust their bank, the traditional bank. So these new fintech companies can win in this market by rebuilding trust relationship, by doing good, doing right by their customers. It's a really interesting problem because what you're describing is a merging of the cash-based economy and digital economy where there's still a recognized dependence on cash, but you're using digital to create virtual ATMs through drivers. Absolutely. And bridging the gap between cash and digital, thats I think that's really the heart of the matter. And, and that's one of the key uh, problems to be solved on the continent today. Several times you've mentioned trust. Thanks to M-Pesa and other technologies, Africa is in a way ahead on digital wallets in the form of mobile money. There are developments out there like CBDCs and crypto that can create trails for these digital wallets and extend them into digital money. Are you seeing these kinds of efforts happening in Africa as well? And can they address the trust challenge? Definitely crypto, you know, blockchain have many promises, you know, when it comes to building trust and so on. We yet need to see this materializing. I think, yeah, lots of super smart people are trying to get into that space. Uh, but I think time will tell. It goes back to, to what you were saying earlier, you know, whether that's a private sector solution that would come and, and crack it or whether that's going to be through a central bank based digital currency, you know, and so on. Let's talk big picture. Where do you see African fintech and African open banking in the next, say, 10 years? The hard answer, let's say, is that we have all of the continent financially included. All of the continent, everyone, regardless of their income level, where they're from, where they are, everyone has access to affordable and quality financial services. So I think that's for me is the dream. 
And that's what I wake up every morning to do, really, like how can we include more people into the system and give them the tools they need, give them access to quality financial services. Specifically to open banking, I really think a lot more regulators will look into this as a tool uh, to bring financial inclusion up, to bring more competition in the market. So I think you will hear a lot more about African countries, the open banking news, and we're just scratching the, the surface when it comes to that. That's on their regulatory perspective. And then private sector, we already have fintech unicorns from African continent. Eight or nine of the top 10 tech companies in Africa are fintech companies. I'm really fond of the embedded finance sort of trend, taking the example of Yasir. Yasir started as a ride-hailing company, and now we're integrating financial services. Now we're sort of, uh, you know, seeing ourselves as a fintech. So I think more and more companies would do that, you know, whether you do transportation, whether you do delivery, whether you're in the fashion uh, space, agriculture, you will introduce, you will consume and, and offer financial services. So that's a great opportunity for startups across the continent building financial infrastructure. Let's end on a pointed question. Do you believe Africa has the potential to not only catch up, but surpass other continents when it comes to technology? We're already surpassing other countries, continents in some sectors. And, and I think, you know, this young population that I see, I was uh, recently in Cote d'Ivoire. Um, that young population is, you know, tech savvy, is different from, let's say, the prior generation that holds lots of hope, let's say, for, for the future. Of course, it's not easy. There are challenges. And maybe what, what is exciting for me as an entrepreneur, what's really interesting with the continent is that there is endless number of challenges. There is uh, no end of problems to solve. So as an entrepreneur, there's always something for you to do. I think we haven't seen yet what technology can bring to this continent. Very tough, but uh, very, very much looking forward to, to what comes next and, and thrilled to see what this next wave of technology innovators and entrepreneurs can bring to over a billion Africans. Ismail, where can our audience find out more about Yasser Tech Hub and the work you're doing in Africa? Yasir.com is the website. If you are in the region, make sure you download the app and you can use it for all sorts of uh, transport, payment and delivery uh, stuff. And then about myself, I-C-H-A-I-B on Twitter, Instagram. We also have a tech blog, yes, your tech blog, where you can hear about our adventure. Great to have you on the show, Ismail. Thank you. Thank you so much and all the best. Imagine you want to bring phone services to a country where there is none. My older listeners will remember a time not so long ago when the only way to do so would have been by installing thousands and thousands of kilometers worth of metal cables known as landlines. Today, thanks to wireless cellular technology, you can accomplish the same thing through the air. Such is the power of leapfrogging. This is, of course, not a hypothetical situation. When mobile phones were introduced in Africa, 
it opened up the fastest-growing mobile market in history, more than doubling several years in a row. This led not only to more connectivity, but stronger economies and greater opportunities for all. If you accept that the global banking system is undergoing a drastic technological change, then it begs the question, what is the banking equivalent of the landline? And more importantly, what is the banking equivalent of the mobile phone? Just as they did with telephony, African countries have started to ask how they can best learn from and leapfrog their peers on either side to create the future of financial services. The market has certainly stepped up. Africa is today considered one of the most active and promising startup environments in the world. Global technology giants like Google, Amazon, and Microsoft have all announced major investments in African economies. Even the likes of Visa and MasterCard are looking to invest in the continent's fintech boom. African regulators are stepping up as well. Not to be outdone by their European peers, many are looking to leapfrog straight into open finance. The regulatory framework published by the Central Bank of Nigeria earlier this year explicitly mentions mortgages, credit records, and treasury management, well beyond what open banking standards do today. The goal, what gets Ismail out of bed every day, is to bring total financial inclusion to 1.2 billion Africans. To give them the same trust in their financial system that so many of us take for granted. To do it in a way that is unique. Leaving behind the antiquated systems of the past and creating something entirely new. Wholly digital and distinctly African. With a little bit of luck, they might even leapfrog right to the front of the line. Before you think that's not possible, remember, they don't have any landlines. Mr. Open Banking, the podcast that explores the ongoing evolution of open banking and its impact on our lives. Make no mistake, the rise of open banking is going to change financial services forever, and we will be covering that story every step of the way. This is your host, A.L. Savan. Until next time. This episode was made possible by Axway leaders in enterprise integration for over 20 years, and creators of the Amplify platform. To learn more, visit axway.com.